Wonderful. Morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm James, have we not met before? I'm one of the elders here at New Life. It's good to have you with us. Um, we're doing a series called Discover Life. We're changing the name of the church to uh, Life Church Beckles come January, and we've been exploring what our aim, what the Lord's aim for us is as a church family, what we see in Scripture um, as to what Jesus uh, wants us to be about and to do. And so we've been unpacking that, and it's looked like this, and I won't go through it because uh, we've had uh, six weeks of it, so <laughs> or seven weeks of it, so we're fairly familiar. Um, and today uh, we've started to have a look at why, why commit ourselves uh, to, to Life Church Beckles? Why, why is commitment to the church important? Or well, actually, last week Rod looked at who would commit themselves to church, and today we're looking at why yeah, commitment's um, important. And as we come to the table together to eat bread and drink wine uh, this morning, we're thinking about uh, looking at commitment. And breaking bread's about commitment to the Lord together, to one another. Um, and that's what we're coming together for this morning. Um, so, why? I just want to think, first of all, why? Before we get into the specifics of why we might commit ourselves to Life Church Beckles, uh, first of all, why, why is commitment important in general? Why is uh, commitment, particularly in our time, in the place where we live, why is it important uh, to us? Um, and uh, came up with these kind of four brief things before I really get into things. And the first is it's important for renewing our foundations. Those of you who've been around for some time know there's a bit of a prophetic word over us that described the last season of our church life as uh, the building almost being stripped back um, to its foundations, for the re- foundations to be renewed and then for things to be uh, rebuilt. And that we felt that was an accurate picture of what had been going on here uh, with us and something that the Lord was doing amongst us. And part of our laying of foundations, renewing the foundations, is renewing our sense of commitment to what the Lord has called us to, our sense of commitment to one another and uh, what he's doing amongst us and what that looks like. So that's why, uh, firstly, renewing our foundations. Secondly, it's about our commitment to the Lord Jesus above everything else. The commitment to the Lord Jesus above all else. And the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that you, were, that you and I were made for one thing. And not that we were made for a what, but we were made for a who. We were made for the Lord Jesus. That's all, everything that's about us as human beings was made for him. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, doesn't he, that you can't serve two masters, doesn't he? He says, no one can serve two masters, so either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'd be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he finishes it with, you can't serve God and money. In fact, you can't serve God and anything else. It's not Jesus plus X, Y, and Z. It's just Jesus. We commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus above everything else and Jesus ends that passage with seek first the kingdom of God seek first that's number one priority seek first above all else the Lord Jesus and his kingdom because there's lots of other things that compete for our commitment aren't there in life tons of things career ambition um, relationships uh, romance um, whatever it might be they all compete for our commitment all the time And some of them are good, aren't they? And committing ourselves to Jesus as Lord above everything else might mean that those things are important and we also commit ourselves to them. But it doesn't change um, the the fact that Jesus 
is the one we commit our whole life to. He's the focus, the center, the, the overarching priority in life. And all else in our life finds its meaning and its place in relationship to him. Everything else in life finds its meaning and its place in relationship to him. Um, it's a bit like marriage, isn't it? If you think of marriage, marriage is a good thing. Marriage can become the main thing, can't it? Your relationship with your spouse can become like the lord of everything, and everything is subject to that. It's not that marriage isn't important. Marriage is really important. But why is marriage important? It's important because of the Lord Jesus. Because marriage reflects the Lord Jesus' relationship with us, his church, his bride, with the bride of Christ. And so marriage finds its meaning and importance in Jesus and his relationship with us as his bride. And so it's not that those things aren't important, it's just that they find their meaning in him. It's about commitment to the Lord above everything else. This is what Jesus says to the rich young ruler, isn't it? What else would I do, Lord? And Jesus says, go to all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And the man goes away sad because he wants to hold on to that. Because Jesus knows in his heart, he sees into it and he says, it's not me plus your possessions, it's just me. Go and sell it all. And the man goes away sad because he's not willing to do it. And so commitment's about commitment to the Lord above everything else. In fact, that's what Peter says in reply when he hears this exchange. He says to Jesus, see, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? If we, if we left everything behind and now we're just following you, what do we have? <laughs> we've got nothing except for you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when I sit on my glorious throne, you who have followed me, my disciples, everyone who's left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So the question of commitment is, who are you living your life for? Who are you living your life for above everything else? Make it just Jesus. Everything else will find its place. Make it just him. And the third thing was that we live in a consumerist culture. I talked about this right at the beginning of the series. But we live in a preference-based culture, don't we? You go shopping at the supermarket, you don't just pick up pasta, do you? You get to choose from pasta all the different shapes, whether it's got egg in it or hasn't, whether it's this shape or that shape, penne or fusilli or spaghetti or tagliatelle. And of, of those varieties, different brands. I can go budget, I can go medium, I can go really posh. And I get to choose. And we, we live in a preference-based... Everything. Everything in our life, we get some element of choice. But what we see in Scripture is a commitment-based culture. And it can affect our kind of approach to church, isn't it? And our approach to church is to be commitment-based, not preference-based. We don't kind of uh, find a church depending on what's our ideal of church. Will I hear good preaching? Will I like the style of music? Does it have ministry I need? Is there a way for me to serve that fits my likes and interests? We don't come to Sundays to sit and watch and consume. We don't go to house groups to kind of ultimately get our needs met. We don't serve because it's just what I like to do. Um, It's not about whether it meets my needs, makes me happy, fulfills me, satisfies me. And if it doesn't, then I go to a different church. And I'll see if I can find what I'm looking to consume there. That's preference-based approach, isn't it, to church life. 
And often people can do that. I go to this church for this. They've got great, they preach the word really well there. Their worship's a bit dour. So I go over here. It's good, it's good there. Spirit-filled. And this church over here, they do this this way. And you end up kind of picking from churches. I like it here and there based on preference. But church is something that Jesus joins us to. And we commit ourselves to it, warts and all. <laughs> you know, accepting people as they are. And journeying with Jesus and them. Church is a family, isn't it, that we participate in. It's not an organization or a club or society that we consume, we drain, we exhaust. But it it does serve to benefit us, doesn't it? (laughs) We Obviously, as we're part of it, it does us good, doesn't it? Not many of you were nodding the first time I said it, so I went for a second time. It benefits us, doesn't it? (laughs) It does us good. Um, But it's not the the main drive for, for being part of it. I read this this week. I thought it was... Well, it packed a punch, so I thought I'd read it, and it's him saying it, not me. The nature of love is to honor its commitments, to bind itself. The nature of love is to honor its commitments and to bind itself. If we don't understand this, all we do is transfer a pathetic self-centeredness masquerading as love. We just transfer a self-centeredness and masquerade it as love. So our approach to church is not consumerist, preference-based. It's commitment. And the fourth, apparently brief thing I said at the beginning, was non-commitment's a trend in our culture, isn't it? It's a little bit cool to be a little bit standoffish, sceptical, discerning, keep yourself at a distance, watch on critically, be a bit aloof, sit on the fence, not care too much about something because it doesn't quite look right. And especially when it comes to Jesus, and faith and church, it's not very cool to say to your mates, I'm really in to following Jesus. Church is a big deal for me. I'm there every week. I love being a part of the church. I'm zealous about my faith. Um, it's not a particularly cool thing to say. Now, when I was uh, working for UCCF um, with students, uh, one of the things we used to talk about, the very first thing, they'd all arrive as freshers at uni in their first year, and the first thing we would talk about them with is, why, what is CU, the Christian Union, what's it about? And the second talk, we'd always tell them why it's important to be part of a church. Because what would happen is, so we'd drift around, pop into one church one week and one another, and never root themselves in a home and in a family um, that did them good. Um, because it wasn't particularly cool and the done thing, so we had to teach into it significantly. So, we're going to get into passage. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, if you've got one, it's Acts 2, 42 to 47. I've preached on this passage a few times, so I thought I'd go back to it again. Um, uh, when I started this series, this is a quote that I read out um, that I think really well epitomizes that kind of preference-based cultural thinking that can affect our attitudes sometimes um, to church. And it read like this. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something, and they got a coffee together every now and then. They were content without and had low expectation for signs and wonders in their midst. They sometimes talked about generosity, but kept all of their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. 
They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all the people and occasionally someone was randomly saved. And that can uh, be what church looks like in a preference-based culture if it dominates. This is what we read in scripture about the commitment of the local church when people were first saved in Jerusalem. And it reads like this, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to their relationships with one another, to the breaking of bread, which we're doing this morning, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a beautiful picture of church life, isn't it? We'd love that here, wouldn't we, in its fullness. And that comes about as we commit ourselves to what the Lord Jesus has has called us to and to one another in that. That's the life of commitment that the Lord Jesus has for us. So why would we commit ourselves uh, to life church, thinking specifically now? Uh, Here's the first one. The church is a known family. It's an identifiable family. When somebody says to me, James, who's uh, part of your family? Oh, that's a tough one, that one. Uh, what's her name? A spouse. Uh, Jess, that's it. Uh, and I've got two children. Yeah, I just know who they are. Um, when it comes to church family, so-and-so, is that part of your family? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes they're around. Sometimes they're not. I'm not quite sure. Um, it's at odds, isn't it? You know who's in your family. And in the same way, we need to know who's part of the family here. It would have been foreign to the New Testament church family to be unsure. It constantly says in this passage, doesn't it? They. They devoted themselves. Um, and so on and so forth. It's not a blurry concept, but the church was an identifiable group of people, believers that knew they belonged. Peter tells some elders, he says, oversee the flock of God that's amongst you. He's expecting them to know who they are, who's part of the flock. When you read Paul's letters, what does he do at the start and the end of every letter? Greet so-and-so. Greet my friend such-and-such. I love so-and-so. He was so good to me. And he's listing people who are identifiable members of the family, part of the family. And the New Testament reveals to us, doesn't it, that the church is worldwide throughout all generations, but it's also the local church, concrete expressions of the global church, the eternal church, which is for every believer, um, but there are local expressions of it, of which we are one. And so when somebody says, who's a part of Life Church Beckles? Who is that? We could say, it's these people. These are the people who have committed themselves to us and to what Jesus is doing amongst us. And we could say, and if we were to say, we want to communicate to the church something that's going on, we would know who to write to. We wouldn't kind of put letters by the door and go, anybody take one. 
you can be a member, you can be part of the family if you just take a letter that's at the back. No, we would know your address and we would send it to you and say, hey, just so you know, this is going on in church family. So this process of committing ourselves to Life Church helps us identify us as a family. We're known. Now, the second thing is, it joins us together. It makes us a united family, which is part of Helen's word that she brought this morning, wasn't it? About the tapestry, about us being woven together. In this passage, it says they were devoted to fellowship, to fellowship with one another, relationships with each other, that they broke bread with glad and generous hearts, which we're coming to this morning. Because breaking bread is so important, isn't it? Because it expresses the foundation of our unity with one another. Breaking bread is the expression of our unity together. When you, we eat bread and drink wine together, we're saying, this is my brother, my sister, I'm sharing in what Jesus has done for us both. It's the thing that, I've, I spoke a lot about this when I talked about family at the beginning of the series, it's the thing that draws you and I together. Otherwise we wouldn't be in the room together. It's the fact that Jesus has died for us all. We call one another brother and sister in Christ We've been brought together by the Lord Jesus, by his death on our behalf. We've all received forgiveness of sins by faith in him. We're all grateful. We're all part of the family. We're all living for him. We're all living to worship him. We're all wanting others to know the same. Our lives are caught up together because of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus. In that sense, we haven't chosen our family. (laughs) So the preference-based I could decide whether I spend time with this person or not. You've got some decision in that, haven't you? But the Lord Jesus saves them. And uh, you don't get to choose whether they're your brother or sister or not. He just goes, I've saved this person. They're your brother or sister. Receive them. And we do. We don't then debate it and go, I'm not sure about this person. (laughs) They just are part of the family. And then the Bible encourages us, doesn't it? 16 times the most common one-anothering is love, one another. That G.K. Chesterton quote goes, the nature of love is to bind itself. The nature of love is to commit, to bind ourselves to another. And if we're to love one another, the express, that's our expression of our commitment to one another. So I've just forgotten that I've got a uh, passage I want to read out of this um, book here. Uh, which is where I got that quote from. And um, he's talking a little bit about marriage. And I just wanted to read something that I thought was quite insightful. He's talking about marriage, but I think it applies to commitment. And it says this, um, that they have invented a new phrase that is a black and white contradiction in two words. Free love. You heard that expression, free love? As if a lover had been or ever could be free. It's the nature of love to bind itself. And the institution of marriage merely paid the average person the compliment of taking them at their word. He talks about how in the East, devotion and commitment and role relations find cultural emphasis. And in the West, in our relationships, romance becomes the sum and substance of it all. But he says somewhere, the two must be incorporated. For without romance, marriage is a drudgery. But without the will and commitment, marriage is a mockery. Marriage is a mockery. Because it's the nature of love to commit, to bind ourselves. And we're in a divine marriage, aren't we? 
between the Lord Jesus and us as his bride. We're his church and our commitment to Jesus as his bride and to one another in that ensures we don't make a mockery of the divine marriage that the Lord Jesus is bringing us into. And so we work out that in our lives together. Um, and I've talked about one another in the past, so I won't go into it in too much detail. The third thing is purposeful, so that we'd have a shared mission. It says in verse 47 of the passage, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number um, daily. If we're to love others and long for them to know, experience, and enjoy relationship with Father and the forgiveness that Jesus has won for us on the cross, then we bind ourselves to that purpose and commit ourselves to what he's called us to. And so, as a church family, we've got a shared endeavour. The church's mission to make disciples is something we all share in together. So you don't have to, maybe you've been going through the series and thinking, gosh, that's quite a burden to kind of think, oh, that's my purpose in life. And carry it on your shoulders quite heavy. No, the, the call to make disciples of all nations is one that we carry all together. And the Bible talks about us, doesn't it, being members of one body, and we've all got a different part to play in the body. No, it doesn't all fall on your shoulders. Go and make disciples of all nations. Off you go. <laughs> go and do it. No, it's something we're all called to together. It's our shared endeavor that we're all responsible for, and we all have different parts to play, and you think, oh, I'm not very good at that. No, you're not. But somebody else is, so don't worry about it. It's okay to just be good at this thing and this good thing over there and be rubbish at that. We just won't get you to do that very often. <laughs> Unless we're desperate. You know? <laughs> no, even then. We've all got a part to play, haven't we? There's all st- we've got strengths, personalities, gifts that God has given us to all play our part in the mission that Jesus has given us. And this saves us, doesn't it, from this cultural individualism that we've got going on. Where Christian faith is a personal faith. Just me and the Lord. Me and myself and I and him. It's not that I have a ministry. I don't have a ministry. I don't, really. The church has a ministry, and the Lord calls me to play a part, depending on the gifts that he's given me and the way I'm made. I didn't go, oh, you know what? I really like this preaching stuff. People say I'm half good at it. I must have a preaching ministry. (laughs) For ages, I didn't really preach. I preach fairly often, but not with great regularity like I do now. Because it wasn't my ministry. It's the ministry of the church. It's to preach the word. And God calls different people to do that. Yeah? Does that make sense? So ministry in, in life doesn't become, I've got this ministry and I exercise it. It's, here's the church's mission. What part do I have to play in that? And depending on your context, depends on the role that you play in that. Now part of the reason I wasn't preaching so much before is because I wasn't an elder in my last church. So I wasn't preaching every Sunday. The elders were. It wasn't because I wasn't any good at it. It was just because that was their role to play and not mine for that time. You go into another context, you think, I did this in my previous church. I really gave myself to it. I love doing it. You come into a new church, you go, there's new needs. There's a new family. There's different strengths and so on. And it kind of reassesses actually the part that you play um, in that. I wonder what you would want your, the one-line summary of your life's work to be. Just think in your mind, what would you want the one-line summary of your life's work to be? Luke gives us a one-line summary of David's life in Acts 
16, and he says this of David. For David, this is just a casual one-liner that he throws out there. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. That was Luke's summary of David's life. I mean, it's books and books, isn't it? <laughs> They're quite long books, those books about David's life. One-line summary, he served the purpose of God in his generation. And we'd want that for each of us, wouldn't we? That we were people who served the purpose of God in our own generation. Uh, the fourth thing was this. A sense of belonging, of common loyalty to Jesus and to what he's called us to. In one of my previous talks in the series, I talked about how uh, modern-day Muslims, when they give their life to Jesus and start to follow him, their whole lives have changed because um, often in Muslim nations, they're outcast uh, from their family and the church literally becomes their new family. Their former life crumbles. And that's what it was like for these earliest Christians. Part of the Jewish community, when they gave their lives to Jesus and said, he's the one I am primarily uh, um, loyal to, I'm allying myself to him, would meant being their former life kind of crumbled. They didn't really exist for them anymore. They were often rejected and outcast from the community. And their new life was bound up in the church community as they day by day gathered in the temple, gatherings like this where everyone was together, and they gathered in people's homes, a bit like our house groups. But their primary sense of belonging was the church, the community who shared this primary allegiance and loyalty to Jesus now. In contrast today, it's not unusual, is it, sometimes for uh, Christians to not belong to any church. I'm a Christian, I spend time with the Lord, read the Bible, pray, but not particularly, where do you go, which church family are you part of? I'm over here, sometimes there, sometimes here, sometimes there. It's not uncommon to hear that, is it? But we want everybody to have a sense of belonging. This is my church family. I'm at home here. I belong. I'm part of the family to give us that sense of security and confidence. Even in a society where maybe when you became a believer, the rest of your life didn't fall away. Your family still talked to you, perhaps. You still got good relationships there. Your friends didn't outcast you. But still, their primary sense of belonging is to the people of God, who we all share loyalty to Jesus first and foremost in our lives. And so it gives us clarity, doesn't it? Which church are you a part of? I belong to Life Church in Beckles. Uh, and the final thing is this a sense of being cared for. There were apostles teaching in the church in Acts. There was teaching and leadership and care being given by the apostles. And later on they get called elders in the church. And the elders who are responsible for overseeing are called to lead, feed and care for the flock. Lead in the sense that they provide some sort of direction for the church. They say, hey, we feel like God is saying this to us at the moment. And so we're aiming for X. They feed the church by unpacking scripture and saying, hey, this is what the Bible teaches us. This is what the Lord says to us in his word. And they care for the church by getting alongside them, ensuring they're well loved. And uh, so here we've got Rod and Nigel and I, who are elders in the church since in January. We're up to about 10 months now of being elders in the church. But it's really important that, that, that uh, eldership oversight is invited, isn't it? 
and received. It's not something that's coerced and kind of put on. In fact, uh, Peter puts it this way in his letter, doesn't he? Not to be domineering. Not to kind of put yourself on people. And not to kind of say, hey, this is what discipleship for Je- with, uh, being discipled to Jesus looks like for you. And you're going, oh, that's a, that's a bit strong. <laughs> but it's actually to receive and invite it. Um, so there, there's got to be some sense in which when you commit yourself to the church, part of what you're saying is, I receive your input as elders and your oversight, whether it comes directly from one of us or comes through others. But there's an openness and a soft-heartedness that says, I'm willing to have people's input uh, into uh, my life and an intention to receive it. And that needs clear, explicit agreement, doesn't it? Rather than just assuming it. Oh, you started coming on Sundays now. And so we've noticed such and such. We just wanted to talk to you. Hey, we really love you. We'd really, we, we really think God wants to say this to you about this area of your life. And you're thinking, oh, <laughs> I didn't invite that. No, you're right, you didn't. But when there's a sense of, I'm committing myself to life, church. I'm receiving your input. There is a sense in which you're saying, yes, I do receive that now. And I'm inviting it in my life, not resistant to it. And so the process of commitment, which we're doing now all together, but in the future, when newcomers come amongst us, we would do it specifically just with them. We'd say, hey, you know, some of you are new to us. You want to find out a bit more on whether you want to commit yourself to us as a church. We'd love to meet with you over a meal. And then we'd share the things that we've been talking about through this uh, series and uh, make uh, so that people can share with us things that it's helpful for us to know about them. If there's a previous hurt or baggage in life, something that's kind of shaped your life because of past experiences, and it's an ongoing discipleship thing that you're working through, that's helpful to let the elders know about so that we can think about how best to love you and serve you and help you follow Jesus well. And it also gives people opportunity, doesn't it, to ask questions of us. Say, you maybe you've been here four or five weeks and you think, I've got a question about X. You said such and such on a Sunday. What did you mean by that? There seems to be an emphasis on this, but I've never heard that before. Or this is a bit different to how I've experienced it elsewhere. Try and help me understand why you do it like that. And so on, so that people can ask questions of us and we can talk it through. And there's a sense as well, we don't often talk about this because... Uh, authority is not a popular term in our, in our culture, is it? But Jesus has established authority in the church for the protection of the flock. What, a, what did shepherds ultimately do with sheep? They protected them. A shepherd was a protector, a guardian. And so David talks about how he um, protected the flock from wolves and so on. There would be a, a front gate and a back gate, wouldn't there? And the shepherd in biblical times would lie across the front gate, literally position himself across it so that he protected the flock behind him. And in the same way, elders are expected and called to be protective of the flock. That means not everyone gets in. That, that, that sounds a bit exclusive, doesn't it? And a bit, Poof. But Jesus makes it really clear that sometimes wolves will come among you. People will try and teach you differently from what Scripture says. And part of the role of elders is to go, hold on a minute, we just appreciate some more time to understand what you mean by that. Or what do you believe about this? Or we've just noticed this about the way that you are amongst us. So we can be honest with people and say, we've got some concerns about this. A part of protecting the flock. And there's also a back gate. 
sometimes Jesus says that there's things in the, can go on in the church that it shows through the letters where it's either damaging or divisive. It's damaging the church or it's dividing the church. And the elders have a responsibility to go, hey, do you know the impact that this is having on the rest of the flock? And we wouldn't wish it, would we? But there are times when the Bible talks about church discipline. We said this person is ongoingly, after lots of conversation, lots of loving them, trying to explain things, talk things through, explain the impact on the wider church, isn't having any of it. And it's a big scriptural issue. It's not just like a picky preference. It's a, they're living their life this way, and if you follow Jesus, you live your life this way. And it's bringing damage or division in the church. And we say, there's a back gate for that purpose. There's a, lot, there's a bit more to talk through. And I, if, you, if uh, I'm saying things in these series, and this, particularly this morning, you think, oh, I've got questions about that, I'd really appreciate talking it through, then come and talk to us. We'd love to kind of talk that through. We're happy to talk about it more. So what's going to happen next is uh, we're going to have the last Sunday in this series on the 8th of January. And what we'll talk about on that Sunday is how do we commit ourselves to Life Church Beckles. We talked about who, we talked about why this morning. Next time we'll talk about how do we commit ourselves uh, to the church. And we'll talk about what that process looks like, because obviously us all doing it at the same time is going to take a little bit of administration. And different of us, some of us have just appeared, and you think, I've only been here a couple of weeks, and some of you have been here 35 <laughs> years, and <they'll, laughs> we've got different needs. For some of us, there'll be a phone call that goes, hey, welcome to Life Church. You say, yeah, we'd love to commit ourselves, obviously. And we go, yeah, we, we, we get that. Welcome. And for some of you, you'll appreciate like a cuppa, conversation, time to talk it through, what next steps might look like, and so on. So we'll talk about how in a future week. Um, as I was speaking, there was a couple of things um, that I felt maybe some of us wanted to respond to as I was speaking. Um, so, so I think, first of all, we'll just pray, and then um, we'll, we'll ask the Lord to come and just point out things that he's maybe been doing by his spirit as I've been talking. Yeah, Lord God, we, uh, we love you. Lord, we say we're committed to you. You above all else, above everything else, we're seeking first you and your kingdom, Lord Jesus. You're the one that we've given our lives to. We belong to you. You've bought us. Uh, we're precious to you. You bought us at great price, giving your son on the cross to die for us in our place, on our behalf. And we belong to you, Lord. We say we're part of your family. Thank you for committing yourself first to us and calling us to respond by committing ourselves to you. Pray Holy Spirit now, you would just come and speak to us. As far as I was uh, speaking that some of us, um, perhaps um, that, apath- that apathetic non-committal attitude, when I was saying it wasn't quite on trend, actually in your heart, you know, there's a kind of distance you like to keep. And uh, the Lord this morning has just kind of been nudging you, kind of elbowing you and saying, come on. Give yourself to me above all else. Throw your whole self in. I felt there were some of us as well who the enemy's done a very good job of separating us. That's what he loves to do. He loves to get in the middle of you and someone else and break you apart. 
That's what he's constantly trying to do with you in the church. He's trying to make you feel like you don't belong. And so I felt the Lord, want, for some of us, want, wanted to remind us, you belong here. You belong here. The Lord says, you're mine. The Father says, you are my child. You're my son, you're my daughter. You belong to me. And then some other us, uh, uh, others of us, perhaps as we were, as I was talking about authority, just even the mention of the word, the experience of the past of people who've had authority in your life and abused it, just re- raises a kind of tension. And the Lord wants to say, my authority over your life is driven by love. I love you, says the Lord. I've given myself for you. And I'm endlessly devoted to you. I don't break my promises to you. I'm not overbearing. I love you. And I want to come alongside you and walk life with you. The Lord just wants to open yourself up to him and invite his influence, his loving kindness into your life. So Lord, we pray, if that's uh, for any of us, we pray, Holy Spirit, come and help us work through it, whether it's We need to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to you, whether it's reminding ourselves of the truth that we belong, whether it's reminding ourselves of your loving care and authority in our life. We pray, Lord Jesus, send your spirit to help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.